Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis 6, 17 about the under heaven way of life and the on the earth way of life. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Father, we thank you so much for your presence here with us this morning. Lord, we count you the most welcomed guest. And so we pray, Lord, that in your presence that you would open our hearts, Lord, to receive this word as an engrafted word into our hearts. Lord, we pray that you would open our minds, that we might see wondrous things out of your law, out of your word, Lord, and look forward more after this meeting this morning to your coming than we did when we came in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, if you follow along here in Genesis chapter 6, as I read Genesis chapter 6, beginning with verse 17. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. But with thee, Will I establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons, and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. And of every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort shalt thou bring unto the ark, to keep them alive with thee. They shall be male and female, of fowls after their kind, and of cattle after their kind, of creeping thing of the earth after his kind. Two of every sort shall come unto thee, to keep them alive. And take thou unto thee all food that is eaten, and thou shalt gather it to thee, and it shall be for food for thee and for them. Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him. So did he. In our last study together, we looked at, and you might want to take a look at that, in those verses 13 and 14. They're very important in Genesis chapter 6, verses 13 and 14, where we saw, And God said unto Noah, The end of... Of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, and here's very important words, I will destroy them with the earth. And don't stop at verse 14, just keep reading. Make thee an ark of gopher wood, room shalt thou make in the ark, and so forth. It went that way. Those last words of verse 13, when you put them together with the first words of verse 14, paint a very clear picture of who God is. And those are the words that we need to embed within our minds, because this shows, the words I'm talking about are the words, I will destroy, make thee an ark. Just keep those always in your mind. I will destroy, make thee an ark. What does it show? It shows that God's judgments are always accompanied with his salvations. What does this mean for us today? This means that the more we see, which we do see, the clouds of God's judgment gathering in the sky, that means that the more God is looking to save sinners and the more we need to be about the Father's business, which is to seek and to save that which is lost. And to remind us of this, that God steps up his efforts to save the lost before the judgment comes. This phrase, it's very important. I will destroy, make thee an ark. I will destroy, make thee an ark. I will destroy, make thee an ark. That's the mind frame of God. And so now, when we come in verse 17, he says, Behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven and everything that is in the earth. Now here we see God's continued 
announcement of the flood. And in that announcement, there's another particular phrase that's very important to grab our attention. And that's the phrase, behold, I, even I. Whenever God uses the word behold in the Bible, he wants to say something specific to us. He's saying, now, here's something that's going to happen. And the word behold tells you, I don't want you to miss it. It's very important. By using the word behold, God is wanting to say to us, it would be very easy for you to miss a very important point. So I'm highlighting it for you. If you want, this is God's yellow highlight marker in his Bible when he says the word behold. And what is it? Behold, I Even I do bring a flood of waters. So God knows that some will be tempted to read verse 17, the flood of waters upon the earth. And maybe in the future, some would be very tempted to only hear the Brian Williams newscast. On the newscast tonight, there was a flood of waters. So God makes it very, very clear that this is his work. And the main point about the flood is that it was God who brought the flood of waters. This was the work of God. Behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters. And that word do is also as if you would say, in, as in doing. It's an emphasis. It's doing. I'm doing this. I'm actively involved here. That's what we so much appreciate. I so much appreciate about President Bush when he said, and God is not neutral on these matters. You know, God is very active in the affairs of men. So the words, behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters, shows us that God brought the flood. Now, what words in verse 17, here's a question for you, show us what God's purpose was in the flood. What's the words? To destroy, right? To destroy. And God always has a reason for what he does. So his purpose was to destroy. And then he mentions a couple of phrases here, and they're interesting. God doesn't stutter and God doesn't waste words. And so there are two interesting phrases here in verse 17 that I want us to focus in on because they give us a key to what happened to man. What happened to man that led him to become so corrupt that he brought on the flood? And the phrases are under heaven and in the earth. That first phrase, under heaven, is a description of how men should have viewed themselves. Those words from under heaven are written from, like, God's perspective, so to speak. You know, they're under my heaven. I'm looking down on them. But they're interesting because when you parallel them, or not parallel, but contrast them with the three other words in this verse, in the earth... Then we have a contrast between the two views that people could have of their lives. These are two dramatic ways of life. There's an under heaven way of life, and there's an in or on the earth way of life. The under heaven way of life is knowing that, is living life knowing that I am under heaven, that I am always under the eye of God that I'm always being watched by God. It's to live life knowing that I'm always being evaluated by God. It's to live life knowing that I'm being scrutinized by God. And that's to live life actively believing 
What the Lord said, for example, in Matthew 12, 36, when he says, But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. The under heaven way of life is to live life as if tomorrow will be that day when we will all appear where it says we will appear and we'll all be receiving what it says we will receive in 2 Corinthians 5.10 when it says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to what he hath done, whether it be good or bad. The under heaven way of life is to live life as if tomorrow is going to be the day that we will all be doing what it says we're going to do in Romans 14, 12, when it says, so then every one of us will give account of himself to God. The under heaven way of life is to live life looking up and realizing that life is being lived down here in the eyes of God. In other words, he's watching us. It's a vertical perspective in life. It's a looking up. And to help us keep that vertical perspective, that's why it's so important that we do what the Lord said to do in Luke's 18.1, where he said men ought always to pray, because that keeps us trained in this under heaven way of life. It's to live on this vertical plane, looking up, realizing that God is always looking down on us. And the under heaven way of life is to have a preoccupation, if you want to think of it that word, to have a preoccupation or a fixation or an obsession with being concerned. What the Bible says that we should be concerned with, which is in Colossians 3, 1 through 2, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. That's the phrase. Things which are above. Things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, and set your affections, and again the phrase, on things above. See? Things above, not on things on the earth. It talks about things above versus things on the earth. And God says to have the under heaven way of life, we are to be preoccupied, fixated on, obsessed with things in heaven, things above versus things that are on the earth. In other words, this under heaven way of life is to see oneself as turning down, saying no to what earth has to offer, which are called the things on the earth, and to say to them, those are temporary enjoyments, and I choose rather the choice to want or to desire to go after what heaven offers later for permanent enjoyment. And that's an identity that's a very real identity, a self-identity, a self-esteem, a self-image, I should say, a self-image that's described in Hebrews 11.3 when it talks about the people of faith when it says, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them. In other words, they were obsessed with them. They were fixated on them. They were concerned with them. And embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Now, who's the poster child for this? It's Moses. 
Moses is the poster child for the under heaven way of life. Why? Because when it describes Moses in Hebrews 11, that same chapter, it talks about by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused, see things on the earth, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy, saying no, to the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming, otherwise saying, being obsessed with, fixated on, or concerned over, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Why? For he had respect unto the recompense of reward. He had respect for the reward. Now, on the other hand, so that's that's what it is to live in the under heaven way of life. On the other hand, there is this on the earth way of life. The on the earth way of life is to have, instead of the vertical, to have a horizontal perspective. Just in seeing and, and being conscious of only what is on the earth. The on the earth way of life is not to see earth as under heaven as under the eyes of God because after all there is on the earth that's described in Psalm 14 1 where the fool has said in his heart there is no God they are corrupt they've done abominable works so the on the earth way of life is to see life as one ride one ticket one ride with the you only live once type of mentality which is a statement when you say that when a person says that you only live once and get everything you can out of life. That's a statement that denies that there's anything more than the first birth. There's nothing more than the births that occur in the maternity ward at Grossmont Hospital. There's nothing more. That's it. That's just that. And to say you only live once is to deny that there is another birth, a second birth, or being born again, that happens anywhere where a sinner turns to find God's mercy and receives God's remedy, the Lord Jesus Christ, as for his sin, see? So the goal on the earth or in the earth type of life is to reach a point where you take it easy, where you have an early retirement, where you can eat and drink and be merry. The the on-the-earth way of life puts the bumper sticker on his car that reads, the one that has the most toys wins. Because the 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 on-the-earth way of life is just to have this preoccupation, this fixation, this obsession to be worried over what is described in Philippians 3.19 when it says, whose end is destruction, who mind earthly things. Things on the earth, who mind earthly things. Tom, today you talked about heaven. For many people, there really is a question whether there is a heaven, and for that matter, a hell. What scripture clearly states that heaven and hell really do exist? Well, there are many references in the Bible to heaven and hell, but one that is very clear that states both that there is a heaven and there is a hell is Daniel 12.2 where he said, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So in that verse, we have a reference to heaven as everlasting life and to hell as a place of shame and everlasting contempt. Mm. And Tom 711 has a slogan that they've always used over the years called, Oh, Thank Heaven for 711, which kind of shows that people in general, even society, talk about heaven. 
What is heaven like, according to the scriptures? Well, you know, when we answer a question like that, we have to really look at the answer in two parts. And the first part is to answer what in its core, what in a nutshell is heaven like? And the second question is, what are some of the particulars about heaven? The best verse I can think of that really addresses the core of heaven, in other words, in a nutshell, in other words, if, if I want to know it, just in very few words, what is heaven in the core of the answer, I go to John 14, 1 through 3. Because, of course, this verse, this part starts off with the statement, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. So when we get really to the question of what happens to me after I die, which is really where we're going when we ask questions about heaven and hell, he, the Lord Jesus Christ, understands that this is a troubling question for us. In other words, when we think of ourselves dying and we think of ourselves going into a coffin and the ground and all the other things, that, of course, it's disturbing and it's troubling. So right away, he speaks to our heart and he says to us, let not your heart be troubled. And then he says, you believe in God, believe also in me. In other words, what he's saying here is that consider who I am. Consider my authority. He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. In other words, you believe in God, believe that I am also God. In other words, because we know from the scriptures, it teaches so clearly that when it uses the word Elohim, being a plural word, it's referring to the three persons of the Godhead or the triunity of the three persons or the trinity of the three persons. So what he's really saying here. And let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He's saying again, going back to the most important prayer among the in in uh, um, in Moses, which is the Shema in Deuteronomy six four, where it says, "Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one." And so he's saying this is essence. What he's saying in John fourteen one: You believe in God, believe also in me. In other words, it's saying. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. In other words, uh, our master is our gods. Our master is one in a togetherness, a composite unity. So in other words, believe that I am God. So in other words, he's saying, I as God am telling you, don't let your heart be troubled. Now why? He goes on to tell us why. Because now he as God is saying, in my Father's house, in other words, in God the Father's house, are many mansions. And then, and you can almost hear the Jewish expressionism coming up as he says, if it were not so, I would have told you. <laughs> he says, you know, you think, I, you think I would have told you differently if it wasn't there? So he says, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And then he says, I go to prepare a place for you. Now, he's saying that he's going to heaven. He's going to the Father's house to make a place for each one of us. He is the master provider, as the master creator, as the master builder is going to provide, create, 
and build a place for us, just like he provided, created, and built our bodies to live in. You can bet your bottom dollar that he is going to build, create, provide a individual place for each one of us to live in, just as he's created our individual bodies for us to live in. And then he says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. So what he's saying here is that he's saying, look, I don't start things and not finish them. And to have a house prepared without the inhabitant is no good. So as soon as I'm finished preparing the place for you and I go, I'm going to come again and bring you and receive you. Now, here, the really important core part to see about heaven is these two words, to receive you unto myself. In other words, he's not saying, and I'll come again, and I'll bring you into heaven, or I'll escort you to heaven, or I'll, you know, like in Disneyland, I'll open the doors to the magic kingdom. You know, he's not saying that. He's saying, I will receive you. You will come to me, unto myself. And that's the key to what the core of heaven is, unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. So in other words, where is heaven is where the Lord Jesus Christ is. And when are we in heaven? When we are with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why if a person who loves the Lord Jesus Christ, desires with all of his heart to be with the Lord Jesus Christ, lives every day of his life yearning with an active yearning to be with the Lord Jesus Christ, then heaven is the greatest relief and joy and satisfaction that could possibly come to his soul because he has this great love for and to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. On the other hand, if a person really would prefer not to think about the Lord Jesus Christ, if a person really does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, if a person really loves someone else or something else more than the Lord Jesus Christ, if a person, if a person is not really have his heart's yearning and desire, let me put it this way, if a person doesn't have his greatest heart yearning and desire to be with the Lord Jesus Christ, then heaven for that person would be hell. Why? Because because heaven is going to the Lord Jesus Christ, receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. So the pictures that we see of heaven in the Bible are all about the Lord Jesus Christ. They're all about, uh, uh, for example, and these are now, we've now getting to the particulars in Revelation 4, 1 through 6. After this I looked, and behold, the door was opened in heaven. The first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show you things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven. So the center of heaven I'm stopping now, and I'm commenting that the center of heaven is this throne 
It's right in the middle. It's right front and center. It is the center of focus and attention. And one sat on the throne. And and now I'm reading again. And one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment. And they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceed lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning it before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God, and before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal in the midst of the throne, and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. Now, I've read that in such a way to emphasize the repetition of this word, the throne, the throne, the throne. Why is it so important? Because it's the Lord Jesus Christ who's sitting on the throne. So everything, whether it's the sea of glass, or whether it's the the four and twenty elders or the seven spirits of God or the seven lamps of the fire, they're all around the throne. And so if anybody would go up there to heaven and say, you know, I'm really interested in those seven lamps of fire. I think I'm just going to turn my back on the throne. No, he'd be totally out of sync, out of kilter with what's going on there because heaven is where the Lord Jesus Christ is. And that's what heaven is. And to be in heaven is to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us today. Now, if you'd like a free copy of today's message, you can go to friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go there if you'd like any Tom Cantor resources, materials, books, or videos or teachings, and just look for our resources button where you can order Tom Cantor materials online. And that's, again, at friendshipwithgod.org under our resources tab where you can get Tom Cantor materials. Now, Noah was a preacher of righteousness who was moved with fear and compassion to reach the lost. And if you can help us to reach the lost Jewish people around you, Israel Restoration Ministries and Tom Cantor wants to give you a free gift. So call us today. We'll help you to reach lost Jewish people by giving them a gift or giving them to you. Call us today, 1-800-247-3051. It's free, 1-800-247-3051. Or you can write Tom Cantor. His P.O. Box is P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California, 92071. 92071. 